Okay, so we are now moving from the board to the staff to talk about what makes a great fundraiser, which is something that you've written about extensively, including in the irrefutable canons of fundraising. So uh, I know there were 12 in there. Maybe you can tell us what your top ones are or reflect back on them. Yeah, gladly. When I talk about great fundraiser, I'm not talking about the manager of a fundraising office. That takes different qualities. I'm talking about the person who goes out to ask for the gift. That person, what leads everything else, is integrity. When I started this, and at the time, there was nothing really written about what makes a great fundraiser. And there really still isn't. Mm. What are the characteristics, skills, and talents that make a great fundraiser? And I made a list of 102 characteristics wow. and put them on 3 by 5 cards. Some of your listeners will remember what a 3 by 5 card was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, then I had a group of consultants that I felt very positive about to go over my list. And they honed that list down to about 18. Then I chose, I did some national market research by the way, among that list. But also, I decided the best way to get my information was to interview men and women I consider to be the great fundraisers. Now, you might quarrel with my list, but yours won't be any better than mine and probably won't be as good. It was a great list of people. What came out first I tell you, Brian, this wasn't even on my original list of, uh, of the 102 3x5 cards. But I'm talking to Phyllis Allen, and she says, you left out the most important thing. And I said, well, I can't believe I have with all of this. She, left, she said, you left out integrity. And I said, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. I assume that's a given, but it really isn't. And everyone that you call on is looking at you, and they're thinking integrity, they're thinking commitment to the organization, they're wondering about your passion. So I listed impeccable integrity. That's a lot of integrity. And that came out first. That became the most important. Integrity isn't important. It's everything. It is. I, I agree. People are always wondering what they should be, what a fundraiser is. And at the heart of it, you need to be authentic to yourself and have that integrity, that honesty to do things correctly and not try to do something to build a relationship, but to actually just build it naturally. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But what came out second surprised mm -hmm. me. Now, mind you, 
the original, the first study, was done 30 years ago. And I thought what would be important was ability to communicate, that you were a brilliant presenter and that your words were very impressive. And that was not the case at all. It wasn't the sending. It was the listening. Listening. And I must tell you, I take some pride in it, if you had asked a group 30 years ago what was the most important, you wouldn't have gotten listening as an answer. You wouldn't have. Hmm. And today, if you ask that question, everybody would have given you listening. So I had a little to do with making that happen. This is very interesting. Do you think that that change has to do with the change in the world, the pace at which it's going, all the information that there just seems to be a lot of talking, or you're probably aware of Susan Cain's book, Quiet, The Power of the Introvert, and so forth, and that there's a lot of talking going on, maybe more than there was, or there's a lot of noise. Do you think that's part of what made uh, listening bubble up? Sure, I suppose that is. But as I said, I do take some credit because we weren't talking about that at all. Mm. But I know if you listen and you probe. Felicity and I, my wife, and I were talking just yesterday about how do you find the answer if a person is ready to make a gift? And how much? Guess what? You ask them. <laughs> right? Right. You probe. <laughs> you probe. You probe. And sometimes you just outright ask. Yeah. If you don't know, ask if they're ready. Sure. Yeah, of right? course. That too. But you listen. But you listen, for sure. If you don't listen, you don't get any giving clues. If you mm-hmm. don't listen, you don't give them an opportunity to be part of the whole experience. I remember a line of yours from a number of years ago, which I have continued to use, which is, I might mess it up a bit, but I believe it's no one ever listened themselves out of a gift. <laughs> is that it? That's it. No yes. one ever listened themselves out of a gift. And I use that now. It's It, it sums it up, doesn't it? It does. Yes. It does. You want them to feel that they are part of this whole experience and that they can feel the joy of giving. And so you probe, you listen. I try to find out what else they give to because that becomes very important. So listening becomes so important, a characteristic. And I find that great fundraisers come in all shapes and sizes and colors. But listening is so important. Interesting. I have somebody on my staff, and um, we ask clients to grade our staff. And Richard who's a good fundraiser, gets very poor marks on listening. So I thought, well, I'll have him take the test, see how he grades himself, then I can start talking about this. He gave himself a 10 out of 10. And most of my graders said Richard's a 2 or 3, that he's a very poor listener. 
Now, how can it be that someone would not recognize they're not giving enough attention to listening? So that becomes very important. And then you do want somebody who has a passion and commitment to the organization. I want to talk one more second on the listening because it is at the core of everything. I heard a very interesting adage years ago that I used, and that is that people remember the least of what they hear, and they remember much more of what they say. Oh, that's so important. And the most out of what they do is something that when it's experiential. But in a meeting, of course, you've got listening and talking mostly, and that to the extent we let our donors talk, they're going to remember the conversation. It's so important. As opposed to the 4,000 facts we want to share about our <laughs> yeah. organization, which they will not remember. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Ah, how can we tell that story often enough and effectively enough that staff members understand it? Staff and board. We say... Yes. You listen 75% of the time, and you talk 25% of the time. That's the ideal. Yeah, but you know what? If you practice that, Mm -hmm. it will happen. And aim for it, right? Yeah. Right. Certainly, if you are talking more than 50% of the time, that is a big mistake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big mistake, yes. So I have a question on the 12, because I read through the 12. And one of them, one of the 12 really struck me this time around. It was love for the work. And I just wanted, I didn't get a chance to go back through the book, so I wanted to know whether love for the work meant the work of fundraising, the work of the organization, both. Yeah. I think a person ought to bring passion and commitment to the organization. It should be burning in their bones. If they don't love the work or the organization, Brian, if it isn't fun, they may be in the wrong profession or the wrong organization. So this was a leading question. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Because, and this is from my personal experience, so I want to share this. I want to make a difference in the world. That's why I went into the nonprofit world. And I think most of us ended up in the nonprofit world for that reason. We have a vision of the way we'd like the world to be. We want to see change. We want to help. And for many of us, we end up fundraising because we can do it well and it makes an impact. And that's the job. That's the role we can play to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think our field needs all of those people in addition to people who think fundraising in and of itself is, quote, fun, is the best thing. I I find fundraising fascinating. It's fascinating learning about people and seeing how people tick and what their mindsets are and everything. But it's also a very challenging field. And I have to say, as someone who's never liked asking anyone for anything ever, (laughs) it's been a massive challenge. Sure. Rewarding as could be, and I can see the difference. But when I see love for the work... I think, hmm, I don't know, but I think I've been a great fundraiser, and I think all the organizations and the donors I've raised money for would say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, the bug has bitten you, and that's that's (laughs) great. I think a donor can tell 
if you don't have the passion for and the, the organization. Yeah. Yes, yes. You have to love the organization. And I think everybody ought to think about are they at the right place yes. in their life to take this on? Mm -hmm. The one thing that we know, what else could we be doing that would be more important? What else can we be doing that would touch more lives? What else could we be doing that would make such a difference? And I like to think, because we're raising money to serve men and women, sometimes children, that we will never know, never see, never meet. But we know that the funds that we raise dramatically impacts the lives of hundreds. And that's important to know and to think about. And those lives will be impacted also. So that's important. Absolutely. And, and I have always felt that, even at times when I thought, hmm, fundraising. But I've done it because it, it's important and, and the results are incredible. So I have a question. My story is that I got a bug for the nonprofit world in college. I loved being part of that environment, that academic environment, and doing good on campus and being part of a lot of clubs and working in an administrative office. And so I said, I, I want to do this as a career. I want to go into the nonprofit world. And then I think it was in my third job where someone said, can you write this grant? Can you do this? And 30 some odd years later, here I am. How did you end up oh. in the nonprofit world and in fundraising specifically? Interesting, yeah. I did not catch fundraising as a career choice. It caught me. I was pre-med in, really? yeah, in college, and when the dean called to say I had been chosen for the university medical school, I decided then I, was, I wasn't going into medicine, and fortunately, I did not, because even the sight of blood <laughs> sickens me. <laughs> I had, in order to get through school, I had to take a job with the YMCA, and... I found that I really loved the work. And those people put me in charge of fundraising. And I was only at the time a junior at the university. Hmm. So when I got word that I was chosen for medical school, I was able to say, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to go into fundraising. Wow, as a junior in college. Yeah. And what do you recall? What were you actually doing? What were your tasks? At the line? Yeah. Yeah. It was raise money mm -hmm. to send kids to camp. And how were you doing that? Was it, were you going out and asking individually? Oh, yeah. Were you doing letters? <laughs> yeah. Were you... I was sending out letters mm -hmm. to a database. And then when we would get a response, I would make the phone call. Mm -hmm. That hasn't changed, by the mm -hmm. way. You make the phone call, find out if I can see you to thank you for your gift. Mm -hmm. So at the time, and now also, I say to staff, say if you get the appointment, you're 85% on your way to getting another gift. One of the rules of our business is it's harder to get the appointment than it is to get the gift. Now, you know 
If somebody says, sure, well, let's set up a date, you know that you're going to get a gift. You just know it. That's it. Right. Yeah, because they know why you're going. Right. And I say to people, who, knowing why you're getting together with them, why would they get together with you just to say no? Exactly. Right. Exactly right. Yes. So you made a lot of follow-up calls instead sure, of meeting? Sure. Okay. And then you get to know how many calls do you need to make in order to get the visit. And at that time, it was actually a little bit easier, it seems to me, at that time to get the visit than mm-hmm. it is today. Yes. Far fewer challenges on people's time. I think that's true. Far fewer fewer charities. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Far fewer. Right. Interesting. So you did that while you were in school. I just want to get yeah, a little yeah. bit more of that very early history before yeah. we wrap up this session. And then what did you do? Then I decided I would stay with the YMCA. And at one time, I was the youngest CEO of a YMCA in the country. And How then, old were you, we have to ask. <laughs> I was in my early 20s. Wow. And then I became mother and father to 400 YMCAs on the East Coast. Mm. New Jersey, Puerto Rico, Maryland, District of Columbia. You said mother and father. I was really responsible for these YMCAs. Okay. Wow. Big job. Still doing what I loved best of all was I was helping them with their fundraising because this was where the need was the greatest. Then I left the Y to take a job with John Renzabach. This is a super firm. Yes, I would think most people have heard of the firm. Yeah. For a long, long, long time. He was a, just a great model and mentor. And it was, it was interesting because as I started out with John, I made, I don't know, 15 presentations, and I won most of them. Very few would I lose. Now, when John made a presentation, he would scratch, he would move around funny, strange gestures, but I copied them all because <laughs> John was the most feared salesman in the country. And I found they didn't work for me. That, was, that wasn't <laughs> no me. No scratching and, and no, twitching. No, yeah, yeah. So um, it was a great experience working with him. Then, after four or five years, I said, why don't I start my own firm? Now, a Greek would understand this. Because we like being independent and entrepreneurs. And my father said, oh, that's great, starting your own company. My mother, who isn't Greek, said, oh, my God, what happens if you don't make it? You know, she was worried he wasn't at all. Very interesting. Isn't there... um I know very few Greek words from some Greek friends. Isn't one of them malaka? Like crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I can picture is. someone saying, what are you, malaka? Yeah. That you're going to do this. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's great. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Great place to stop for this one. Thanks so much, Jerry.